I don't know if you've ever tried to explain the real meaning of Christmas to a small child. Sometimes it's not very easy because there's so much tradition all mixed up with spiritual, biblical truth that it's sometimes for little kids to tell the difference between Jesus and Santa Claus or the wise men from snowmen. Sometimes our children have a hard time understanding what it all means. This last week I saw a cartoon. The cartoon is called Marvin. I don't know if you've ever seen the Marvin comic. And in the first frame, a young mother has just finished reading the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2 to her young son. And the little guy has a puzzled look on his face as he kind of tries to sort it all out. And then he thinks to himself, let me see if I've got this straight. Christmas is Jesus' birthday, but I get the presents? In the final frame, he sits there with this big satisfied grin, and he says to himself, isn't this a great religion or what? <laughs> well, people do have a kind of a weird and sometimes warped view of what Christmas is all about. Some of you may remember a book, and I think I have a picture of it up here. It's called The First Christmas or The Christmas ABC Book. They had those when our grandson was little, and I don't know if this is the one we had, but maybe some of you had this book. Every letter of the alphabet connects with the biblical story in a little rhyme. For example, A means angel. An angel was the first to tell that Christ had come on earth to dwell. Then you go to a few other pages, you get to D. D means donkey. A donkey followed Joseph's track and carried Mary on his back. That's okay, even though a donkey's never, ever really mentioned in the Bible. You go a little further, and then you actually get to kind of an odd one. O. O means oxen. An ox awoke and wondered why so many people knelt nearby. Now, all in all, it's a, it's a kind of a neat little book. It's good for children to know the ABCs of Christmas. It's good for all of us, I think, to kind of sort through the tinsel and the fantasy to see the absolutely great and wonderful story of Bethlehem. That's why I chose a particular Bible verse this morning. It's a Bible verse that sums up, I believe, the real meaning of Christmas better than any other. It is a Bible verse that's kind of tucked away in the corner of the New Testament, and in it we find the ABCs of Christmas. And you see it on the screen. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our, your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I want to suggest to you that this verse pretty much talks about, sums up the great truth of a baby's birth. We're going to examine this verse a little bit, kind of part by part, to discover the ABCs of Christmas. First, for the strengthening of our own hearts, and second, that we might better be able to teach you know, not only our children, but our grandchildren or others as well. Let's start with A. A, he was rich. I don't know if you ever tried to do this, but this last week I, uh, I tried to decide who's the richest person I've ever known. 
I mean, how about you? Who's the richest person you have ever known? Well, I've known a few very wealthy people, even some people who made their money in less than admirable fashions. Some of them are locked up at Angola. But I know they've got lots of money sitting outside. I've also met people who have lots of money who've done it by good old-fashioned hard work. But I have to be honest with you, I do not know Donald Trump. I don't know Bill Gates. I don't know Warren Buffett. Or for that fact, I really don't know any of those jet-setting playboys who light their cigars with $100 bills. You see, there are various categories of richness when you stop and think about it. There is the average rich. More money than most people, but not incredibly wealthy. Uh, The rich people I kind of know fall into that category. Then there's the medium rich. Those would be your basic multi-millionaires. Then you got the super rich. These are people you see on shows like the lifestyles of the rich and famous and stuff like that. And then there would be a category I guess I'd call the incredibly rich. That would be people like Donald Trump and others on Fortune magazine, list of the world's richest people. They're your basic multi-billionaires. Now, to help you put that in a different way, the average rich fly first class. The medium rich charter a jet. The super rich own the jet, and the incredibly rich own the airline. But let me remind you, Jesus Christ owns the skies. The Bible says he was rich. It's speaking of what Jesus had before he ever left heaven to come to earth. In Hebrews it says that all the glory of God radiates from him. Colossians 1, it says, all things hold together in Him. A little bit further in Colossians, by Him all things were made. And on Isaiah it says, before He was born, He was the mighty God, the Father of eternity. Now suppose you you, you thought about the richness of God this way, or the richness just in general. Take the ten richest men who have ever lived, and the ten most powerful rulers who ever lived, add the ten wisest men who've ever lived, throw in the ten mightiest generals who ever went to battle, add in the ten strongest athletes in pro sports, add the ten most mesmerizing speakers, add the ten greatest political leaders, and any other ten great men or women that we've kind of left out of that list, Calculate their accumulated wealth, their power, their influence, their skill, their genius, their wisdom, their insight, their ability. And whatever that vast sum comes to, Jesus had way more than that in heaven. Nobody can come close to the richness Jesus had before he came to this earth. He was rich in every way possible. He didn't leave heaven in search of riches. He had the entire universe at his disposal. He was not looking for money. All the money in the universe was his for the asking. Now, theologians, you know, the wise guys that actually study the Bible, uh, speak of the pre-existence of Jesus. That simply means that before Bethlehem, Jesus, the very Son of God, existed from all eternity in heaven, not as a pauper, not as a beggar, But he lived in heaven in absolute glorious splendor, something that we can only hope to see someday when we graduate to heaven as well. That's the A 
of the ABCs of Christmas. He was rich. Rich beyond measure. Rich beyond anything we could imagine. But that's only part of the story. Because Christmas actually starts with the next letter. B. He became poor. Incredibly rich, but he became poor. Now, what's that mean? Well, he was rich in eternity. He became poor in time. He left heaven for a remote little village in a forgotten province to join a despised race of people, to be born of some obscure teenage girl, placed in a feeding trough rather than a nice little comfortable crib. This much we all know. But it actually says he became poor. Became poor. Not he was made poor. That's what happens to us. We can be made poor. Uh, We are made poor by circumstances. We are made poor by our own foolish choices. But he himself, of his own free will, became poor. He chose to set aside all of the riches of heaven to become poor. Now, chances are that's something that none of us here would ever do. I'm not sure any of us would voluntarily give up all the wealth we had just so we could say, now I'm poor. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He voluntarily gave up all the riches of heaven for the poverty of this earth. He who was richer than any man who's ever lived gave it up freely and became poorer than any man has ever been. Now, you and I understand riches. I think we understand poverty, but to choose poverty, well, it just doesn't make much sense to us, and it's probably something, like I said, we would never do. But that is the heart of the gospel. The richest person in the universe, of his own free will, became poorer than the poor. Now, theologians, again, have a word for this. It's called the Incarnation. And that idea comes from John chapter 1, verse 14, which says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And to become flesh means literally to wrap yourself with flesh. It was the idea that God somehow wrapped himself in human flesh, and that's what happened at Bethlehem. It was God entering our world in the form of a man. Now, back when I was growing up and going to St. John's Lutheran grade school, Seward, Nebraska, third and fourth grade, my teacher, Miss Bartles, brought an interesting thing to school. It was called an ant farm. Any of you ever remember ant farms? About yay big, glass, a lot of sand inside, and there were a few ants in there, and you could just kind of watch them crawl around and All the kids in that class, we really loved that ant farm. But I remember one day when Miss Bartles brought that forward and she set it in front of us. And she said, I want to tell you a story about this ant farm. She said, how many of you love these ants? Well, we all love those ants. It's kind of cool watching them crawl around and make their little trails in there. And she said, how could we possibly communicate to these ants how much we love them? Well, we thought, well, we could all stand up, you know, all of the little third and fourth graders in that classroom. We could all shout, we love you. But because they're ants, they wouldn't understand. Well, we could write letters. 
say, dear aunt, we love you, but the problem is ants don't read English as far as we know. Well, one kid had a wise idea. He said, well, we could all shrink down to ant size, but you know what? They wouldn't recognize us because we weren't ants. She said, you know, there is one thing we could all do. We could all take on the form of an ant, be born as an ant, act like an ant, live like an ant, talk like an ant, and then we'd be able to find a way to say to the ants, I love you. Do you have any idea where she was going with this story? I'm not so sure when I was in third and fourth grade that I was quite catching it, but she said that's what God did at Christmas. He didn't email us. He didn't post something on Facebook. He didn't send out a tweet. He didn't shout from heaven. He did the one thing that everybody could understand. He himself came down here, entered our human race. He became poor like us so that we could forever hear him say, I love you. Now, to be quite honest, we probably would not have done it that way. We would have probably scheduled a press conference. We might have called the TV stations or got the Texarkana Gazette to show up. We'd had John Folks write an article about it. We'd have a big parade. We'd call all the dignitaries. We'd sell tickets. We'd make a big deal so all the world could see that we were here. But that's not God's way. I mean, go back and read the New Testament again. Instead of all the flash and the splash, there is a frightened father. There is an exhausted mother. There is swaddling clothes. And there is a feeding trough. So there he is laying in that manger, ignored by the mighty and powerful. He is, as someone said, the deity in diapers. He is Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, it's so simple. It's such a simple story. You got to know it's true. Only God would have done it that way. He was rich, but he chose to become poor. And there's one more truth about Christmas we need to know if we're really able to understand. And that's letter C. He did it that we might become rich. That's the purpose of Christmas. He came so that you and I, who are poor, might become rich. Now, how does this happen? Well, most of you are familiar with the term guilt by association. You know what that means, don't you? Uh, it means if you hang around with somebody, for example, who's committed a crime, you might be considered guilty as well because of your close relationship with him. Now, turn that concept around and you've got Christmas. It's not guilt by association. It's grace by association. All of God's riches, that's what G-R-A-C-E stands for. What is it? God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what those letters stand for. All of God's grace is available to us just by virtue of our relationship with Jesus. Now think of it. All the riches, all the power, all the glory, all the prestige of His good name suddenly gets attached to us. Suddenly gets attached to me. It gets attached to Ted. Now, some people might say, well, you don't deserve that. Guess what? You don't. I don't. We don't. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I deserved it, guess what? I wouldn't need Jesus at all. But through my association with Jesus, the Messiah, 
Suddenly, I am a rich man. Suddenly, you are a rich woman. You're rich kids. You're rich people. Now, again, theologians have a word for this. It's called the doctrine of imputation. It's what happens when we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. He takes our sin and we take his righteousness. It's kind of like a big switch. He takes our sin, we get his righteousness. We don't earn it. It's credited to our account. That's grace by association. Now, let me ask you this question. What do you call a poor girl who marries a prince? Princess or your highness. So it is that when we come to Jesus, we come as paupers, poor people in the spiritual realm. Our hands are empty. Our pockets are empty. We have nothing to offer. We have no claim to make for ourselves. I mean, all of our good works, the Bible even says, are filthy rags. Our resume is filled with nothing but failure. All of our life is spent by going two steps forward and falling three steps back. And when we come to Him, we are fed, clothed, filled, forgiven, crowned with every good thing. He takes away our rags. He puts around us the robe of His own righteousness. Everything that was against me, against you, is now for you. Everything you ever lacked, you now have. Once you were poor, now you are rich. That's the grace of God. And it happened because of Christmas. He who was rich became poor for our sake, that through his poverty we might become rich. C.S. Lewis said something, and I think I have this quote up here for you to see. Nope, go, go back. You don't. I thought maybe I did, but C.S. Lewis said, The Son of God became a Son of Man in order that the sons of men might become the sons of God. Let's say that again. The Son of God became a Son of Man in order that the sons of men might become the sons of God. So I'm talking to a bunch of rich people today. What do rich people do? Well, if they're good rich people, they give things away. They give and they give and they give. Why? Because they have got more than enough for themselves. they got plenty to spare. Believe it or not, that's one of the reasons why we give gifts at Christmas. Because we who were poor have now been made rich. So here again are the ABCs of Christmas. A, he was rich. B, he became poor. C, that we might become rich. And that's the true meaning of Christmas. And I would encourage all of us to rejoice this year that these things are true. And let us teach our children, our grandchildren, anyone we have a chance to teach, so that they would know what Christmas is really all about. Now, there's only one question left. I'm not going to make any assumptions. So I'm going to ask, have you found the Lord Jesus? Has the Lord Jesus found you? Is He your Lord? Is He your Savior? Have you placed your trust in Him, your complete trust in Him? Have you given up your spiritual poverty for the riches that He offers you? Because He can be yours at this moment. Anybody know who Philip 
Phillips Brooks is. Gwen probably does. You know who Phillips Brooks is? Well, he wrote A Little Town of Bethlehem. He has a verse that I want to use in closing. How silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Our response is joy to the world, verse 1.